Hey everyone, welcome back to Mission Driven. My name is Rafi Gregorian. Personal privacy is an important and burgeoning topic. People are and should be increasingly concerned about where their data is, how it's being recorded, and how it's being captured. Zooming out, big corporations are hoovering up personal data for the use in advertising or sales in general. But zooming in, people have an assumption when they speak to each other across the internet that their conversations are private. Sadly, that might not always be true. However, that's where Signal Messenger comes in. They provide guarantees that a conversation between you and others stay private, even from Signal themselves. You can, in quotes, speak freely, knowing that no others can intercept an eavesdrop. So today, I feel really fortunate that we can have a conversation with the VP of Engineering over at Signal, Jim O'Leary, about Signal, his role, and how he got there. Jim, it's so good to talk to you today. Hello. Uh, good to see you again, too. I'm genuinely flattered to be here. I was wondering, for those who don't know what it is, could you introduce us to Signal? Yeah, sure. So Signal, at the organizational kind of underpinning, it is a nonprofit 501c3 organization. And so different from some other big tech players out there, we're a small organization building free, open source private communication platform for people to talk with one another globally. We support iOS, Android, and desktop clients. We built some of the encryption protocols used by applications like WhatsApp and continue to sort of like push private communication forward across the world. Basically, all your messages, your phone calls, your video chats, using Signal, no government, no hacker, no corporation can sneak in and eavesdrop. Nor can signal the operators of the service itself either. I think that sets us apart from some of the other offerings out there that are maybe doing encrypted network communications to their server, where then they have a lot of your communications in plain text for harvesting, or even if they're not doing that stuff, they, they still have it. And so that's what's different about private communication channel like Signal is that not even the operators of the service can access the contents of your communication and the open source aspect of it allows all of our code to be sort of audited or reviewed by people choosing to use the service or the applications we build them, but also by this like peer review community of people out there seeing every development we have. And we try to operate very transparently and open with the developments that we're pushing into the application, say like week over week or anything like that. When I was at the DNC, one of the first things I did was to mandate that all staffers use Signal as a way to communicate with each other. I mean, I was brought in right after the 2016 hack to clean up the organization's cybersecurity posture. And so we were very paranoid and probably right. We were concerned that Russians or other foreign actors might be trying to listen in on the American political system. So we put Signal in place as a way for everyone to communicate and make sure that we got protection. There's a sort of like original sort of sense of the security folks or really security minded or kind of like journalists or activists kind of getting together using Signal. And as we've been talking with more and more people that use Signal, the diverse backgrounds and current occupations of people, there are people that want to use any kind of thing that they can use to talk to the people in positions of power in their respective places. And people in the government are like, you can only reach me on Signal. So it's funny to see people have that experience where what brings them to Signal is the desire to just have a communication with their elected representatives, which is very, I guess, like different from the perception in the beginning, but also sort of what Signal had always hoped to be, which is just like, you know, it's this tool for everybody everywhere. It's not just for the journalists or activists out there. Let's talk about the nonprofit aspect of Signal for a second. 
One of the things I find super fascinating is that while Signal might not yet be a household name, I mean, it's still a pretty well-known product. And like you mentioned, some of the code is being used in some of the other popular messaging clients these days. It's rare that a nonprofit reaches scale in this way. So in some ways, you're actually a tech company, but you're really a 501c3. What are some of the pros and cons of being a C3, doing this work, and getting to scale? One thing I really like about it and enjoy as like an engineer at heart is sort of the purity in which you get to make a lot of engineering decisions, right? So I've been at smaller organizations, bigger organizations, and I feel like there's this tipping point where somebody will chime in and be like, you know, what about the MAUs or what about the shareholders or what about the stock price? Here, the conversation we have are like, are we actually fulfilling the mission that we feel is important to the organization and the commitment that we're making to people that choose to use Signal? And so rather than thinking about, you know, Wall Street, we're thinking about like privacy first. And there are times when we make some decisions that are economically unsound, perhaps, but in the spirit of fulfilling the mission, where it's like we have these services that run over hundreds and hundreds of hosts on the infrastructure side, so that we can do this like secure enclave computing, just so that Signal can make some guarantees to people that, hey, we can't see your data or anything like that. I think in a, in a world in which there are investors involved, like, you could just run this on like two hosts and just do it in plain text and just move on. And so that commitment to privacy first, sort of just prevents you from having to have some of these discussions around not just how you're running the the system or how the economics work from like a hosting perspective. And then also there's no, I'd say, you know, we don't have any like business development folks or biz dev people, which is both, I think, a, a pro or con in some way. So like one of the, the nice aspects of it is a lot of these places will be like, oh, you know, what if we just hooked up this pipe of data to that pipe of data? Think about how much richer our advertising metrics will turn out to be. And so in a world in which everything's encrypted and we're not doing any analysis on your data or anything like that, it's nice to not even have that sort of like temptation to be like, oh, we can maybe squeeze out a little bit more of an engagement metric or here if we just started collecting this and pairing it with that other thing over there. So like, that's great as well. One of the cons I think is like, we don't have these biz that people. And I think that operating in an ecosystem, a global ecosystem with OEMs and operating system versions, there are things we don't do about negotiating zero rate deals with particular carriers in place where it's like the business economics don't really work out such that you can use a particular platform for free. You're not using any data in some part of the, uh, the world, but like as a result, that service is then kind of vacuuming up all your private data. And so like the uh, economic relationship there just doesn't work out in the same way. It might, where it's like people get the opportunity to use some of these platforms, but they're doing it for free at a cost of sacrificing some, some privacy. What about staffing? What about hiring? I've been a part maybe now for the last decade or so of like hyper growth in every organization I've been a part of. I think if I were to look back for the past like five years prior to joining Signal, the size of the teams I supported was like doubling in size, no matter what I did every six months. We've grown from about 19 or so people at all of Signal when I first joined to now slightly over 30 and engineering's remained in 17 to 20 range over uh, that time there. And so I think being really thoughtful with every person we add to the organization is just different. Whereas like, again, there's no kind of market pressure or sort of anything like that to really grow, grow, grow for the sake of growing. And I think we've been able to bring in some great people that then get rewarded with high degree of autonomy and big scope in all the projects that they work on. I like what you said before that in working at an LLC or a corporation, your single goal is maximizing profits. 
Or you might be able to generously say that there's a joint optimization that we need to maximize profit and meet user needs. You can't do one without the other. But it sounds like you get to spend all your time on actually making sure that users are top of mind, actually taken care of, and protected. That's amazing. Let's back up, Jim. Rewind the tape. Tell me about yourself. Where did you study in school? What was your career path like? How did you end up at Signal? I'm trying to think of when to start the story because I wasn't cradle to the Commodore 64 kind of thing where I feel like I even see it now with uh, people coming in industry like they start they write their first program at four years old and stuff like that. I guess I was a little bit of a late bloomer with respect to that. I think I got my first computer at like 17 or something like that. And so I became a bit of like a high school hacker in some ways. I did some dumb script kitty things just to get in, you know intrigued and interested into the world of uh, security and systems and how they work and how you can kind of like work around assumptions that maybe engineers have made about code that was written in a certain way or the way that kind of systems plug together. But I was reflecting back on this somewhat recently. I looked back into my high school yearbook and my future ambition in my little bio was to work with computers, cryptography, and other fun stuff. It was very specific, oddly so, when some other of my friends were just live, laugh, love, and I want to work on crypto-related things. And so that was interesting to see. So I took that maybe passion and interest and then uh, went to RPI in upstate New York for a dual major. Uh, it was a comp sci and psychology, maybe with more of a focus on cognitive psychology. It was back when early 2000s AI was kind of cool. And they pitched it as, hey, do you like robots? Do you like AI? Did you like the matrix? Come do this program. And so that got me into maybe a more formal comp sci background, which I enjoyed along with a whole range of psych courses and research, which I found to continue to be like useful and interesting day to day. I took the degree and the interest in security to uh, a role out of undergrad at Microsoft back when SQL Slammer and the Blaster Worm and all these other kind of things, maybe like security issues plaguing that code base. You know, what better place to go than a place that I can learn a lot from the security minds that are already there. There's work that needs to be done. I feel like as I've maybe navigated my career professionally, I try to take any opportunity I have and map this one little saying to it. Can I be useful? And can I learn new things with people I respect? And I feel like anytime I'm making a switch, it's like, am I improving the overall output of that equation to consider if I should make this uh, next change? I love that. Can I be useful? And can I learn new things with people I respect? Around like the seven-year mark, started to feel as if I was um, becoming too maybe experienced or an expert in like the .NET stack. And so just talking around with other friends and even some startups. And so I... Decided it was probably time for a change. Spoke with some organizations up in the Seattle area where I was and then came down to San Francisco where, Rafi, I don't know if you remember this or not. You were on my interview panel at Twitter. I was really excited about Twitter. It was also this mix of, I'd say, opportunity and then a smaller organization where there were probably, I think when I interviewed 200 people at the company. And then by the time I joined, which was just like a month later, there were 400 people at the company and 200 engineers. So it was wonderful. I think as I've kind of looked back to on like the changes I make, there's this trading off between like scope and scale in any role that I've had. And so scope and scale, I think scope and scale both kind of change with respect to the different roles I had at Twitter over the years there. But like, to be part of that growing code base, growing organization, growing, I guess, like, value to the world at the time too, was like, really, really exciting. And then meta, I had an opportunity to kind of drop a commute work with some additional people that I had kind of met through industry over the years and do kind of like a parallel move over to what is now meta. And I think even 
then it was more the meta parts of meta where it's like I said, I'd work on a lot of the non Facebook parts of Facebook. So we would do like the mergers and acquisitions. We'd work on early parts of research for things like the Oculus headset and things like that. And the security concerns and privacy concerns to work on all those things. Then around this time is when you switched over to Signal, right? In 2019, early 2019, I was talking with Moxie over Signal, just about casual kind of like introduction to make to somebody. And he said, you know, they're getting to the point. They'd grown slightly. He was still the only manager that had ever managed at the organization to try to bring in their first sort of like engineering leadership or something like that. And so he made me aware of the opportunity. I said I was flattered uh, beyond belief to even be considered for it. I think it would be a wonderful opportunity for me. It's interesting where I think like in tech, even in my own history, there's a sort of cadence of like four-year cycles. I think maybe it's even, you know, like high school and college, all these other kind of things. Again, there's like a four-year rhythm. And so with that, not necessarily am I looking to make a change every four years, but a lot of these external folks start poking a little bit more. Like, oh, it's been four years or maybe somebody's initial RSU grant is up and things like that. And so it was around that four-year time when a couple other interesting opportunities started poking around. But once I started talking with some more folks at Signal and I recognized what could be there, I kind of canceled any other on-site or interview I had and followed my heart over the Signal organization. And I've been really happy ever since. Did you think at any point in your career that you'd end up in a nonprofit or was it just signal like the right organization at the right time? How do you think through looking back, hindsight being 2020, oh, I ended up here of all places? Yeah, I don't think I ever really knew where I'd end up in the very beginning. Like even from the beginning, I was like, where is this going to go? Am I going to be in a bunker somewhere cracking code with the NSA or something like that? Or am I going to end up in the industry or start something on my own or I can go to academia? I've never worked full-time at a nonprofit. Maybe that's what's most surprising to me is that I feel like a lot of times there's this perception that like, oh, it's volunteers or as people working part-time, exactly. stuff like that. And so for me, I think reflecting on it, the fact that there's an opportunity to do this all day, every day, and have it be like the actual only job I have is a little bit surprising to me. And I think it's just a matter of, I don't know if it's like a branding thing with nonprofits or whatever, but like, I think people just don't realize necessarily that the opportunities are there. It's very fulfilling work. It's slightly different, but it's still software engineering and it's still the tech world. And it's just a little bit different. And in a lot of ways, like really refreshing to be a part of something that's sort of got this underlying economic model that's different from a lot of other things that are out there. That's right. When I'm giving people advice all the time, I'm explaining that it's possible to do technical problems in a nonprofit environment. I mean, you can take the nonprofit out of it and say there are technical problems to work on that are actually trying to enhance the social good for the world and make it a better place. What advice would you give to a younger Jim O'Leary or to other people who are thinking about coming out of high school, college, thinking about doing a career change? Getting into this mindset where uh, you're working on projects or things bigger than just your organization is a great taste of like what nonprofit work looks like. To us, we don't have competitors in the traditional sense of WhatsApp or a messenger or something like that. To us, the only competition we have is insecure protocols that are out there. And we want to see SMS die off and we want to see HTTP get replaced by HTTPS and things like that too. And so I think approaching it with this mindset where it's like the work you're doing is influencing industry beyond just the success of your organization is a really good taste of what it's like to work in nonprofit. And then if you're in school or looking to just between jobs or whatever, or even actively somewhere in an organization that'll allow you to contribute or whatever to an open source project, we will take pull requests and look at them as well on our side too. Like you said before, a lot of nonprofits have volunteers to help them organize or they do activities in the community, etc. 
your volunteers, Signal's volunteers, are actually people who can just submit code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have this commitment to transparency, and I think it's important in software projects like our own. Uh, you can just pull down, compile all the code. You can check the MD5 sum of what you've built, what's in the place or stuff like that, and even run your own versions of the desktop app or Android application or anything that you want to. So like, it's nice to be able to have that maybe tactile feedback of like, this is the contribution I'm having, and it's what's running on my phone in my hand right now, too. And having now hired a bunch of engineers personally into social good endeavors, there is usually a question of, can I still develop my skills technically, or am I making a trade-off to get to work in this impact space and the problems just won't be as technically hard as I'm used to? Signal's in this amazing sweet spot where you both have scale and technical complexity so that your recruits, I mean, the people who come work for you, can also still develop as engineers. I feel like our organization always has more challenges or opportunities than we have people. And I like to keep it that way, too, because I feel like once the inverse happens, you have more people than you have problems. There's this sort of like negative feedback cycle that's just going to perpetuate itself of like people are just generating more work for other people, which means more people need to join. And you end up with, I feel like a bloated organization outside of just engineering alone. And so I feel like you just recounted the problem with every tech company. I feel it's very rewarding. As I mentioned, I, maybe I didn't mention this before. I started as like an engineer. I became a manager in my time at Twitter probably almost 10 years ago or so now. And so a lot of what I try to do is uh, be a part of an engineering culture that I would like to have been a part of back then when I was writing code all the time. And even now as I continue to make, uh, I'd say, modest technical contributions, because I feel like at some point, maybe five years ago, even or so, it's like I felt like it would just be irresponsible almost as me, you know, managing a team, supporting a team to also be, you know, on the hook for various critical path code uh, contributions. But uh, I'm still in the on-call rotation if it gives me any credibility here, like, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> server on-call, even, you know, CEO, CTO, and stuff like that. Small organization, I feel like everybody uh, is uh, involved as they want to be. What we've been talking about just sounds like a small startup. Can you walk me through your day, Jim? What does the VP of engineering job look like at Signal on a day-to-day basis? Let me think. I always love when sort of like social media influencers answer this question. They're like, I wake up at 4 a.m., I eat three pounds of bacon, I do 3,000 push-ups, it's <laughs> crush the day and stuff like that. So for me, it's a lot less interesting. I do have a family that wakes me up bright and early every day. I do some family stuff. I get people wherever they need to go. I cook breakfast. I do all this kind of stuff. So that's how my day begins, sort of uh, day after day. We are fully distributed, I mentioned before. So we've got people on the East Coast that are three hours ahead of me. Occasionally, we get some contributions from people in Europe and things like that. So there's movement that happens while I slumber. And so I'll usually kind of uh, check up on just like, what's going on there? Get a good sense of how things are moving forward. If there's anything anybody needs from me, I always try to just like unblock on that. So handful of people here, you know, we have permissions to various GitHub things or G Suite things that we do and things like that. So it's like, if anything is uh, blocking and people are waiting on me for it, I go for it. Once I kind of like settle in to the day, it's a fair bit more meetings and things that, that I have in my role than anybody else has within the organization. And I think that's sort of just like, because I, I use the verb more than I use a noun. It's like, I'd say I run engineering here. So it's, it's like, it's changed over time. Sometimes it's like, oh, you lead engineering or you support engineering or you manage engineering. But here, I think it's more about just like running things and sort of getting all the various components kind of like lined up and moving together across the different teams and code bases. And, you know, we do hiring we coordinate things across teams of people and stuff like that. So I try to make sure we have a light meeting culture across the organization for individual engineers or teams. But as a result, I try to stay pretty 
looped into like most things just so that if I recognize like, hey, this project over here has like a cross dependency with that project over there, we should kind of straighten that thing out and then make sure that basically we can execute and keep all the trains running on time. We release weekly on all the clients. We release not continuous deploy, but very frequently on the server side and things like that. So just kind of like making sure everything's running along very smoothly is how I describe like the, the goal of my day. And then also maybe more long-term, I really value robust organization and whatever we can do to sort of like spread this out such that, you know, I was on holiday for two weeks. Things still like move along just fine is really important for the overall like surviving and thriving of an, of an org like my own. But I think day to day, I talk with a bunch of the engineers here, talking some feature kind of team discussions and stuff like that. It's interesting where I think there's, again, this public perception of signal at times where people think I'm just like, I'm in my basement in my hoodie doing prime number <laughs> factorization and stuff like that. Or uh, you're doing, like, it's still kind of like a traditional uh, computer engineering, software engineering uh, project in a lot of ways. And so as a result, it looks kind of similar to how you might imagine other projects run or engineering orgs run. Just with, like I said, like this like thoughtfully lean approach to how teams are size and things like that. It sounds like fundamentally you're running a tech company. There's no difference between what you're saying you're doing every day and what a tech company would do every day. Can we talk about hiring? Like what's your biggest challenges or tell me the hiring has gotten easier. Like what's changed over time? The process has evolved in my time here. I feel like this is a, one of these things where I walked into an opportunity to uh, make our hiring processes just a lot more I think reliable, repeatable, enjoyable, and things like that. Like I've been hiring now for like a long time. I've been interviewing for a long time. I've kind of seen how places can do it efficiently at scale, all these other kind of things. And what we were doing was not that at all. So I think that just like coming in and like making a little bit of a bigger process improvements with the folks here on our side has just led to, you know, just a faster process, a more delightful candidate experience. We still probably trip up over ourselves every now and then, but like it's better than it was for sure. But originally, like that was probably our biggest challenge to hiring was our, our own selves, our ability to get an offer out in six months or less or something like that was uh, <laughs> embarrassingly not where it needed to be. And so we're a lot snappier on all that now. I think that a challenge I have encountered a little bit that is unique to maybe asking somebody to join a nonprofit organization is that I feel, I mentioned this like the four-year cadence, right? And so they're in the golden handcuff type of situation where they joined an organization as it was small, it's gone public now. They've got all this equity and they just, they can't leave. And I go have coffee with people around you know, the Bay Area and stuff like that occasionally. And they're just like, I would love to come join Signal, the organization. I would love to almost join and do anything other than what they are currently doing, which is sort of just like showing up, sitting at their desk, pining for the, the days of yesteryear when they were growing an organization. And now they're just kind of like stuck in a situation where it would be unwise for them to do anything but kind of ride out their time in an, in an organization like the one they're a part of. What's refreshing here is that you can no stock options, no RSUs or anything like that. We're a nonprofit organization. We tend to pay out, I guess, maybe quarterly rather than annually or, you know, over this four-year thing. And so I feel like here, there's just like a much more direct tie-in, I feel, to like, are you here because you want to be here and not because you're stuck here for any reason? It means you can be surrounded by other people who are here for the mission at hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the other nice things about being a small organization is like, I feel like everybody here meaningfully impacts the overall success of the organization, like day after day. Like every employee of the Signal organization is a valuable employee to the org and we miss them when they go, love them when they join and things like that. So it's also 
refreshing to be a part of something where you feel like you're core to the organization's success day after day. Bigger organizations I've had reflection times was like, I could probably not work here anymore. And Microsoft, for example, is going to be just fine without me. It's a little bit different in the smaller team. Well, Jim, thanks for both spending a time with us, but also giving us this behind-the-scenes look at Signal. The thing I loved about this is that you're helping me, the listeners, hear about such a wide breadth of opportunity for tech people out there to lean in, get excited about, and impact the world. Anybody hearing this is also, you want to talk more or anything like that? I'm Jimio, that's J-I-M-I-O, at Signal.org, or Jimio on Twitter. Like, I love chance to talk with folks. You want to talk about Signal, you want to talk about engineering, you want to talk about anything, like hit me up for sure. Jim, it was so good talking to you again. Thank you so much. Right on. Much appreciated. Thank you for everything. This first season of Mission Driven has really flown by. We've spoken to technologists working in politics, medicine, space, data, and so many other places. So we're going to land the season with my last conversation, one with Josh Nesbitt. Josh is a technologist who spent his entire career working on improving people's lives, whether it be healthcare in Africa or working with doulas in the United States. He's such a great place to end this group of conversations that we've been having on Mission Driven. So please tune in. Talk to you soon.